0: Can show you the
1: world Shining, shimmering, splendid.
2: Anyone who has glanced at the Oscars over the last 90 years can tell you that certain types of films and certain types of actors are consistently awarded over others. So in 1993, when a young, early in her career, Marissa Tomei, was called as the winner for Best Supporting Actress for her role in My Cousin Vinny, a comedy no less, over veterans like Vanessa Redgrave, Judy Davis, and Miranda Richardson, More than a few eyebrows were raised. Because Jack Palance, he of the one-armed push-up fame, was the one who read the category, and because he wasn't exactly young, many jumped to the conclusion that, unable to read the envelope, Palance had simply read the last nominee whose name was still in the teleprompter instead. Others took the speculation further, claiming Palance had simply wanted a hug from the young ingenue. Either way, the rumor mill took the idea and ran with it, leading to years of gossip that Tomei hadn't really won her Oscar for her breakthrough role. Adding in the conspiracy theory that the Academy, too embarrassed by the blunder, covered everything up to save face. Today, thanks to 2017's Envelope Gate, we have a pretty good idea what it looks like when an elder celebrities get confused and read out the incorrect winners. So it's safe to say Marisa Tomei won her Oscar fair and square, and moreover, that she deserved every inch of it. Don't you dare close your eyes! Hold your shoe. Hello and welcome to For Your Reconsideration, the podcast where we re-examine best picture races and determine if the Academy got it right. I'm Devin. And I'm Kyle. And today we're talking about the 1993 Academy Awards, um, the 65th Academy Awards, if you will, honoring the best films of 1992. So per usual, we're going to go through some of the things that were happening in 1992 um, for context of what was happening when these films came out. You Ready? So in 1992, the president was George H.W. Bush.
1: You don't say Abraham Lincoln. No, I don't (laughs) know what I was about to say. (laughs) (laughs) Um,
2: But it was an election year. So later in that year, uh, Clinton beat out Bush. Also in 1992, um, from April 29th to May 4th in Simi Valley, California, a jury acquitted four LAPD police officers accused of of excessive force in the videotaped beating of Rodney King which led to the 1992 Los Angeles riots and the death of 53 people and $1 billion in damages. On May 22nd, after 30 years, Johnny Carson retired as host of The Tonight Show and was succeeded by Jay Leno. Um, In June, as a result of the early 1990s recession... And subsequently sluggish job creation, unemployment peaked at 7.8%, a level not seen since March 1984, and that would later contribute to Bush's defeat but to Bill Clinton in the election. And on December 15th, 1992, hip-hop producer and rapper Dr. Dre released his solo debut studio album, The Chronic, which sparked the beginning of the mainstream popularity and success of a gangster rap, G-Funk, and West Coast hip-hop in the United States. Wow i feel like that's important, it it's, is still important. Pretty, it's still, still Dr. pretty still pretty popular
1: though, so it's weird that you give him praise right now
2: well he's the one that did i mean sometimes yeah, no, bad people no, sure. are the first to do things I, that's a, that's like usually <laughs> always the case honestly yeah all right so you want to know what's going on in film in 1992 of course not much but i will tell you the top 10 films of 1992 you ready for it yeah okay number 10 wayne's world number nine bram stoker's dracula Number eight, Sister Act. <laughs> number seven, Oscar Nominee, A Few Good Men. Number six, Batman Returns. Number five, Lethal Weapon Three. Number four, Basic Instinct. Number three, Home Alone Two, Lost in New York. Number two, The Bodyguard. And number one, Aladdin. Wow. So we go. And we had some film debuts in nineteen ninety two wait a lot, but these are the few that I'm recognizing. Uh Tony Collette. Ray Fiennes, Baz Luhrmann made his directorial debut, Hilary Swank, and Quentin Tarantino making his directorial debut. Very nice. hmm So now I'm going to give you some background on the ceremony of the 65th Academy Awards hosted by Billy Crystal. As with previous ceremonies, uh, producer Gil Cates centered the show around a theme. <laughs> Inspired by the Year of the Woman, in which a record four women were elected to the United States Senate, Kate's christened the 1993 show with the theme, Oscar Celebrates Women in the Movies. In tandem with the theme, the AMPAS gathered 67 female Oscar winners of every category for a photo that was later shown at the start of the telecast. Actress and singer Liza Minnelli performed Ladies' Day, a song written by Fred Ebb and John Kander, specifically for the broadcast. Oscar-winning documentarian Lynn Littman assembled a montage highlighting women in film. In an interview with Los Angeles Daily News, author and activist Betty Friedan condemned the year of the woman theme, commenting, quote, It had no basis in reality. On behalf of women directors, cinematographers, and producers, I resent the travesty of calling that a tribute.
0: <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> um... At the ceremony, Best Director winner Clint Eastwood became the seventh person nominated for lead acting and directing for the same film. Best Actor winner Al Pacino was the sixth performer to receive nominations in lead and supporting categories in the same year, and he became the first person to win in the lead acting category after achieving that feat.
1: What was he? He was nominated for supporting as well that year?
2: Yeah, for Glenn Gary, Glenn Ross. Oh,
1: cool. Okay. Wait,
2: that's nominated? He was nominated for that. I think that's the only thing I got. Oh, did
1: you? no, I, that might just change myself. I don't know. That's interesting.
2: <laughs> yeah. Um, and by virtue of a second straight win in both music categories, Alan Menken became the third person to win two Oscars in two consecutive years. She cool. won for Aladdin. He won the year before. I'm assuming for Beauty and the Beast. All right. So now you want to talk about movies? Yeah,
1: that's what I'm here for.
2: Okay, but There needs to be back. I don't know why you get upset about the like. I it just takes so show. long
1: for me to, uh, to say anything. No, I'm ready, though.
2: All right, well, the first movie we're going to talk about is Scent of a Woman.
1: All right, uh, Scent of a Woman, directed by Martin Brest and written by Bo Goldman, based Bo Goldman, based <laughs> on the novel by Giovanni Arpino. Colonel Frank Slade has a very special plan for the weekend. That's literally the...
2: That's the tagline? Yeah. Cool.
1: Hoo-ah! All right, Charlie <laughs> Sims is a student at the private preparatory school who comes from a poor family. To earn the money for his first flight home to Gresham, Oregon. This is very specific for Christmas. Uh, Charlie takes a job over Thanksgiving looking after retired U.S. Army officer, Lieutenant Colonel Frank Slade. So many words. I know. A middle-aged man who lives with his niece and her family. He's also blind. Doesn't mention that, though.
2: They mention a lot of things that aren't important, but don't yeah. mention that.
1: <laughs> Basically, you know, he's a blind grump, all right, who also is a lieutenant colonel. So he goes, ooh ah, a lot. Mm-hmm. And uh, kind of a womanizer. But yeah, that's scent of a woman. You want me to talk about it?
2: Oh, sure. What did you? Well, no, I have one fact. Well, you already took one of my facts about it being based on Italian stuff. But um, here's my other fact. Pacino painstakingly researched his part in Scent of a Woman. To understand what it feels like to be blind, he met with clients of New York's Associated Blind. <laughs> that's a terrible name. Okay, <laughs> being particularly interested in seeing from those who had lost their sight due to trauma.
1: Ah, okay. That makes sense, cause yeah, C- Colonel Slade obviously, you know, he made it through the army without being blind.
2: No, that would that would be an interesting movie about a blind <laughs> soldier. Goes
1: to like boot camp and everything, and overcomes every every yeah. every obstacle. No, instead he just ju- juggled grenades drunk, and that's how he lost his sight.
2: Yeah, so don't do that, kids. Don't juggle grenades even if you're sober.
1: Yeah, right. <laughs> if you have access to grenades, just be leave cautious. them in the box. Yes, I say with the pins in them too, because that's the whole thing too, right? Mm-hmm. He took the pins out because
2: I don't know how grenades work.
1: Well, they're safe while they have a pin in it, and you gotta pull the pin, and then it becomes explosive. Oh, Okay. There's a pin that's very important.
2: I see. <laughs>
1: uh, yeah. Hua. Uh, first time, first time watcher of *Son of a Woman*. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah. Not a fan. <laughs> not a fan. You know, we gave you a lot of details in the synopsis. It is a uh, it is a movie where um, terrible actor Chris O'Connell <laughs> stars as our preparatory student, watching after uh, Al Pacino here, and he is terrible. Um, Chris O'Connell, not Al Pacino, no. who who I would who I would say deservingly maybe won that Oscar. Um, you disagree, but judging by well, the look on your face, you don't know. You haven't yeah. made up your mind about that yet. No. Okay, um, but yeah, uh, don't really. You know, this is such a weirdly. It's like, how do you even come up with this this random ass idea for a movie? It's I Italians, mean,
2: Italians, <laughs> you know, what are you gonna
1: do? I mean, I appreciate the. I don't know. It's interesting. It's an interesting premise. I will say it is interesting. It is played out over two over two and a half hours though, and to a point where. I honestly think the, the I would call it the A storyline because it's what we're kicked off with of these boys getting in trouble in the preparatory school um, just goes away and then comes back in the end as if we still care about it.
2: Right. I had pretty much forgotten about that by the time they were like, yeah. oh, this is our big finale. I mean, and it, I it, keeps like, what?
1: Com- it keeps coming up because Colonel Slade's giving uh, young Chris O'Connell advice about it. But God, it just like it doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't the only thing attractive about the A storyline of these kids growing up is Philip Seymour Hoffman plays like the other kid involved. And he and he's is brilliant. Awesome. He is great. Yes. Young punk Seymour Hoffman, dude. I love it. I love it.
2: Yeah. He went directly from this to playing like middle aged people, but it's <laughs> it's fabulous.
1: <laughs> Not directly. Uh,
2: I don't know. Not <laughs>
1: directly. I mean, yes, he he doesn't look the youngest. <laughs> you know, he looks like the kids you get, exactly. You cast in like a college movie, but he's really like thirty five, but I don't know how old he was actually was at the time. Um, but yeah, I mean the movie is just wacky and Colonel Slade to a point is just offensive. Like and I feel like it's that thing, it's like, um, everybody's got that like uncle in their life or whatever. I mean, he literally he plays an uncle and he tries to reconnect with his family.
2: <laughs> it's putting it but, kindly. But he like, goes there and antagonizes <laughs> his family. <laughs> And then it's like, but, why don't they like me? <laughs> uh,
1: Yeah, but it all comes for it. You know, it's just like it's a journey that, like, you've seen. I mean, maybe, I don't know, before 1982, But, <laughs> I mean, it's just this, like, played out nonsense that is completely carried by Al Pacino mm-hmm. and his performance here. Like, if that if this was not Al Pacino, if this was Tatum O'Neill. Wait. That's a woman. That's, a, that's not <laughs> who I met. Tate Donovan. <laughs> okay. I don't know picturing tate donovan for some reason and then i said tate amonio you know, it was like tate donovan you wouldn't this you, you, this wouldn't have even been made no
2: it would have been like I mean? a lifetime movie
1: right right but al pacino like i will say he did elevate it but like to a certain degree it's it's nonsensical like I've gone 30 years now in life and people have talked so highly about this movie and it's it's a shame that they're all wrong
2: yeah, I will say I've never heard anyone talk highly of it. In fact, when I brought it up to my parents who were watching it, they were like, "Oh, that movie sucks."
1: Okay, but do you have other references besides your parents?
2: <laughs> I mean, I've never heard anyone talk about this oh, movie. Okay, okay.
1: <laughs> Everyone just likes to.
2: I think people like to do the "hooah" thing. Hooah. But, but like,
1: the start of Al Pacino's uh, prime time descent
2: into madness. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I think
1: it's his. It's his A list. He. I mean, I don't know. Sorry, with the Godfather, he was like, okay. And then he gets through the 80s and into The Scent of a Woman. It's just like, wow, he's now at the peak of his career.
2: I disagree with that wholeheartedly. <laughs> but, yeah. but you're entitled to your opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but Crystal Donald sucks. I yes, mean, he I'm does. Beautiful
2: that. eyes. But uh, not a good actor. I do think I agree with you. I think that Al Pacino being in this movie, like, tricked people into thinking it was a good movie. They're like, Oh, Al Pacino's in a movie. This must be something we should like keep in mind for awards. Right. But like you didn't. It was fine. Um The movie's bad. It's just it's such a poorly constructed story. Like it he's an unlikable person. And as fans of the show know, like, I'm fine with unlikable protagonists. That's not sure. a problem for me. But my problem is that he's unlikable and then he does this is, it's, they treat it like it's some sort of arc, some character arc where he then like learns and changes and like becomes a better person. But that doesn't actually happen. Like, they want you to have that payoff without putting any of the work to actually like, get to that point. Like, he, they have their big confrontation scene and essentially, no, he doesn't change. Nothing about him right. changes. Like, he goes to stand up for Chris O'Connell at this, you know, hearing or whatever at school, but... I think he would have done that at the beginning of the film too cuz he did he stood up for that kid like regardless in other situations as as well. But we never and then he's kind of nice to some kids at the end. But like <laughs> we never see him actually like apologize yeah. to his family, apologize to anyone for anything that he's done. He's consistently misogynistic and just like Yeah. The way women are treated in this movie is like disgusting and it's not and I understand, like, for him, that's, like, his character, but there's never any sort of, like, rebuttal type thing. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. no one ever really condemns him for the way he talks about women, the way he treats women.
1: I mean, and the title is just, the title gives it this extra yeah, creepiness value. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, it, it doesn't, it serves, yeah, it serves this, I don't know, this womanizing attitude that the character has. Right. And, you know, speaking of, like, his character never changed, like, I would prefer it if his character literally didn't change. Like, if he actually went through with the suicide. mm mm-hmm. uh, Spoiler alert. But, I mean, he's his whole plan is to have this extravagant weekend and then kill himself. And then, yeah, that's the undeserving part is Chris O'Donnell somehow saves him from yeah. killing himself. As if this kid has any impact on uh, Colonel Slade's life at all, you know?
2: Right. And, like, the reasons he gives him why he shouldn't kill himself are, like, because you drive a Ferrari better than anyone I've ever seen and you dance tango well or something like that. I was like those are the two dumbest reasons I've ever heard. Like yeah. although I was fully prepared I thought he was going to say like the title of the movie be like you shouldn't kill stuff because of like the scent of a woman. I was like I'm going to fucking throw something at this TV I, if that's what no, he said. Oh, you would not have
1: one, <laughs> okay? It was a very nice TV. <laughs> uh but yeah, I I agree with you. Um but yeah, so like the arc, you're right, it just doesn't it does it's not earned. It's not served. It's it's No. It's honestly a very crap script.
2: It is. And I do agree. I think Al Pacino does give like a good performance. I certainly don't think it's one of his best performances. But I do. I think that his win for best actor and that this is the only Oscar that he's won so far. But um, it was very much a career Oscar. You know what I mean? Like yeah. He should have won it for at least one of the Godfather movies. He should have won it for Dog Day Afternoon and whatever else. Sure. So yeah. I think it was kind of one of those instances where. And that happens a lot, especially when actors who have been around a long time and have never won an Oscar. They just like pick, yeah. especially if there's not a lot of competition.
1: Like uh, Leonardo for The Revenant.
2: Right, exactly. 100%, because that's not his best performance in any.
1: Jack Nicholson for The Departed.
2: Well, he's won like four Oscars. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. So not really, yeah. but, um, Scorsese for The Departed. There, and The, the only reason I can't say who I think deserved it more is I think we haven't watched one of the movies yet, where a lot of people think that that person deserved what? it. Denzel Washington for Malcolm X. Oh, okay. So we will be watching that later, but um, but yeah, I don't. It's it was, like I'm not it mad out. Pacino it, has an Oscar. It wasn't but, the
1: year for people of color. In no, it was the year was of the, of the woman, woman. woman. Yeah, the year of the woman. Oh, son of a woman. Son of a woman. They were giving us. Yeah. They were giving it all away. Which
2: this movie has. This movie does not pass any sort of backdoor test, and I'm pretty sure it only has two named female characters at all. Yeah. So there's do you,
1: that. Do you think women forgave? the oscars that year for their misrepresentation of the year of the woman or do you think they remain (laughs) unforgiven
2: i don't know you'd have to ask the women of hollywood that's true (laughs) you want to know what other people thought about scent of a woman sure all right it has a rotten tomatoes audience score of 92 percent a critic score of 88 percent and the critics consensus reads It might soar on Al Pacino's performance more than the drama itself, but what a performance it is. Big, bold, occasionally over the top, and finally giving the Academy pause to award the star his first Oscar. Is
1: that written by Peter Travers?
2: (laughs) I don't know how they do the consensus. They, like, pick what most people say and then turn it into a sentence. Um, At the box office made $134.1 million. Um, It was nominated for four Oscars and won one for Best Actor. And as far as its legacy, it has none. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Next up, we have the Sony picture, Howard's End.
1: Howard's End, directed by James Ivory, written by Ruth Prower Hav- Havala. Sorry, I want to I give that another take. Uh, written by Ruth Prower Havala, based on the novel by E.M. Forster. A saga of class relations and changing times in Edwardian England on the brink of modernity, the film centers on liberal Margaret Schlegel, who, along with her sister Helen, become involved with two couples, wealthy, conservative, industrialist Henry Wilcox and his wife Ruth, and the downwardly mobile, working-class Leonard Bast and his mistress, Jackie. Mistress? Wife, I Jackie. thought they were married, yeah. Yeah, like, wife Jackie. They I don't, got married. I don't, I don't it was know. fine. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, Howard's End.
2: Howard's End. I got a fun fact for you about Howard's End. You ready for it? Buckle yourself in. Ooh. Securing funding for the film, whose budget stood at $8 million, proved it difficult for the distributing studio Orion, which was on the verge of bankruptcy. The bulk of the financing eventually came from various Japanese companies, and the distribution issue was solved when the heads of Orion Classics left the company for Sony and created Sony Classics. So this is the first film.
1: Sony Pictures. Interesting. Yeah. That's awesome.
2: That's really good. Okay. You want me to talk about Howard's End first? Of course. I will say, in this year of the woman, (laughs) this is the only Best Picture nominee with a female-led cast that passes a Bechdel test. So that's exciting. Um, I do my thing with Howard's End. I think it's good. I think I haven't really seen a lot of Merchant Ivory films, um, but I think this is probably pretty indicative of them. I think that it's beautiful to look at the production design. It's beautiful. The costumes are beautiful. It's a stacked cast. You got Emma Thompson, Helena Bonham Carter, Anthony Hopkins, um, Vanessa Redgrave. It's a good cast. So they give good performances. I do think, you know, I think like in 2017, they did a a limited series based on this story by Ian Forrester. And I think that a, I think a limited series is the best way to tell this story because I think the pacing in this movie is kind of uneven just because in the beginning it takes, here's the thing what I really do like about what we do these podcasts. I really like most of the time do not know what these movies are about going into it. So we don't watch trailers for them. You know, we're not, it's just a different thing. So I did not know what this movie is about and it took a very long time to kind of figure out while watching the movie, what it was about. So, in the beginning, it felt very slow and, like, not a lot was really happening and you didn't know where it was going. And then, at the end, things kind of just, like, a lot of stuff happens all at the end that it just felt very, like, dense at the end where it had been very spacious at the beginning, if that makes sense. (laughs) Does that make sense? You're laughing at me, so I feel like it doesn't, but...
1: (laughs) I mean, I I guess I get what you're saying.
2: I just just feel like it was a lot. It was a lot to pack into a movie... (laughs) And really, like, come away, like, come away with it feeling satisfied. Do you know what I mean? Sure. So I I liked it, but I don't, I don't think this is the best way to represent that story.
1: Sure. I don't, you know, I really don't want to uh, see another presentation of the story, honestly. Um, I think I got enough. <laughs> um not I was going to watch not, it. <laughs> not to be insulting. It's just, like, I don't. I yeah, I don't think this fast pace I guess served the story they were trying to tell, but like I don't know if the story they were trying to tell also deserves a longer form content. Um
2: I just think you would get a better understanding of the characters. Like the whole the whole beginning with the exposition of like what happens between Helena Bottom Carter and the yeah. brother guy like was so quick and like
1: It was unnecessary. Right. It did, it literally did not even need to exist in the movie actually. Well, it also gives us a reference for Howard's end, which we yeah, don't really need. But
2: that, like, that's why she like goes to talk with Vanessa Redgrave to like smooth things over and like reinstate their friendship after yeah. that whole like scandal or whatever.
1: I guess, but I don't know. There could be other ways of just doing that, you know.
2: I mean, that's true.
1: I mean, obviously, we're asking to change E.M. Forster's novel at this point, so I'm not trying to, you know. What I mean? Yeah. They're probably trying to do a fair job with that. But you're right. I think the pacing is like all over the place this movie. In fact, there's there's a couple scenes that were clearly longer. And then cut up with just fading to black and coming back. Did you notice that? Yeah, that was really weird. What the hell, dude? Like, this movie's already, like, just shy of two and a half hours. I think adding the extra five minutes you would have probably got for each of those scenes, it, like, honestly feels so bizarre. It's, like, it's supposed to be, like, a passage of time, but it's literally just, like, a passage of
2: Yeah, they, like, come back from the blackout, and they're, like, still in the same same position. So it's, like, well, how much time did pass? Like, I don't know. Right, right. It's, like,
1: it's so... It's such a... Poor edit. I would like to. I do you not have facts on that. I was hoping no, you'd like come across something like that because either a really poor directorial choice or a must editing choice, but pff, I don't know how. Um, I mean, yeah, too elegant to jump cut, I guess, but um, <laughs>
2: too elegant to jump cut. That should be their <laughs> <laughs> uh
1: but yeah, I mean, but at the end of the day, also, I like just kind of liked this movie. It was a, it was pleasant to me. I didn't mm-hmm. feel like I was, uh, I was struggling to keep up or anything. And I will agree that the end, the de- the end is dense, but I feel like, I don't know, I kind of enjoyed that. I kind of enjoyed this this like movie. You don't, you don't really know what's happening. You are just letting it kind of like wash over you, and then yeah, the story does conclude in like kind of a.
2: It concludes. Nice I life. feel like the ending is so like. They have the big scene where like things come to a head is it happens so quickly and you're not, it's so unclear what has actually happened. Yeah. Well, this is,
1: it's like probably, this is probably a cliff notes for the book, right? Sure. Like, and I get that. I get that. But it's still like, and I wouldn't typically probably enjoy something like this, but for some reason the production design or, you know, the, Mm -hmm. I don't know, the whole artistry of it just like, I just enjoyed it. It was just like a pleasant pleasant experience i don't know
2: yeah it was a good sit like i enjoyed watching it i just i don't know there were some things that w- could have been clearer to me such as why emma thompson wanted to marry anthony hopkins because that was never made clear to me yeah if they'd been more explicit on she just like needed a place to live i would have like understood that more
1: yeah, they go from they know. go from zero to sixty on this whole marriage thing. Yeah,
2: they're kind of just like casual acquaintances, and then he's like, "Will you marry but me?" Could you
1: just like not be casual acquaintances back then? Like, I don't, I you know, I don't understand the history of the thing. You know, if yeah, if two rich socialites start talking, do they then just assume you're getting married?
2: Even though you're like three decades uh, yeah. younger also than yeah
1: exactly i know and also i just i just assume like upper class people sometimes just married married for convenience you know like he just lost his wife he needs a wife to like maintain credibility or whatever you yeah know? So and i just... feel
2: like they didn't really get into a lot but i feel like there were like some casual references to like how much she was like his wife yeah and obviously her, sure. her and his wife were good friends but
1: sure well man i love emma thompson this movie i love helen bonham carter yeah
2: little baby um, helen bonham carter
1: and then Anthony Hopkins does serve up a delicious performance. Yeah, I he's good at playing a dick, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. For sure.
2: You want to know what other people thought about Howard's End?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, you really, I just, yes. I always want to know more about the movie.
2: I know, but I, I, I need promise. to let the listeners know what we're about to do. Okay. Uh, has a Rotten Tomatoes audience score of 82%, a critics score of 94%. The critics' consensus reads... A superbly mounted adaptation of Ian e. Forrester's tale of British class tension with exceptional performances all around, Howard's End ranks among the best of Merchant Ivory's work. At the box, that was made $26.1 million, so not a runaway success. <laughs> um, at the Oscars, it was nominated for nine awards and won three for Art Direction, Adapted Screenplay, and Emma Thompson won for Best Actress. As far as its legacy, um, it hasn't been named on a lot of things in recent years, but it was placed on more top tens list than any other film in 1992. Wow. Wow! It placed on 82 of the 106 film critics polled. Wow. So, yeah. it's impressive. People liked it in
1: 1992. Amen. All right, moving on a few good men directed by Rob Reiner and written by Aaron Sorkin. Yes. That Aaron Sorkin, uh, <laughs> in the heart of the Different. nation's capital in a courthouse of the U S government, one man will stop at nothing to keep his honor. And one will stop at nothing to find the truth. When cocky military lawyer Lieutenant Daniel Caffey and his co-counsel, Lieutenant Commander Joanne Galloway, are assigned to a murder case, they uncover a hazing ritual that could uh, implicate high-ranking officials such as Shady Colonel Nathan Jessup.
2: (laughs) Shady Colonel. Yeah, you know, that's what it says, Devin. That's
1: what it says. So, yeah a few good men
2: all right there you go a few good men as he said it was adapted for the screen by aaron sorkin based on his 1989 play of the same name and includes contributions by william goldman sorkin got the idea for the play from his sister who was working as a jag officer and told him about a similar case of marines on trial for the hazing of another marine under direct orders of their superior officer sorkin sold the film rights before the play had even premiered that's my only fun fact about a few good men
1: the only fun fact. Yeah,
2: it's okay. the only thing I found fun.
1: So, what did you think of *A Few Good Men*?
2: I enjoyed it.
1: In the Year of the Woman.
2: In the Year of the Woman. Again, don't pass the Bechdel <laughs> test. But um, that that movie literally has like one female character. Oh yeah. There's not even a no. other woman like seen. No. No, there's like two women on the jury, but oh, <laughs> they don't talk. Yeah. Um, I liked it. It's a it was a good movie. This movie to me is like. If I think about like what's a nineties movie like, I feel like I would think about A Few Good Men. It just feels so nineties to me. It does. Have it feels that like it'd 90s. be on TNT on yeah, an but afternoon. I, but and I feel you'd like a lot
1: it. of that is because of Tom Cruise and Demi Moore. Sure. Like you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. But I hear you. I do hear you on that.
2: It's but it's also like the kind of movie that like doesn't get made anymore. It's essentially like a an original concept. It's based on a play, but I mean, it's not based on like a book or a whatever else you know what i mean like it's an original movie it's about adults there's actually not even really a love story it's about adults you know they don't why make, would you like, say that <laughs> you know it's what I'm about
1: saying? adult they're all about adults but it's like
2: an adult thing it's not like a comic book movie it's not like a what we have now i'm just saying they don't make movies like this very much anymore if they do they're like tiny sure. little indie movies this was like the only movie nominated for Press picture that was in the top 10 of the year so okay. like okay. i'm just saying those kind of movies don't get made as much as they used to get sure. made um so i like it for that reason i am a huge fan of aaron sorkin as i'm talking to you right now i can see a framed picture of aaron sorkin behind your head that i own that you gave to me and um so i and i i think that this movie has a lot of those things that i love about his writing of they don't talk quite as fast as some people in his his later work but um it's got that same snappy dialogue that i enjoy from Mm. him so i like that tom
1: cruise is such an aaron sorkin character in this movie
2: yes yes well, and, yeah, I have some problems with that character just because I feel like it's that same sort of trope of, like, he's incredibly unlikable for no reason. He's just a dick to people for apps. Like, oh, yeah, he's so awful. And then he, like, kind of redeems himself, I guess. Not like I love him lot. all the way
1: through. So and I, and I don't know if what that says about me. You it's just like,
2: love Tom Cruise. <laughs> I mean,
1: I do, you know, I do. Uh, But I mean, I th- honestly Tom Cruise makes this kind of character work. Like, if you picture, like, a Bradley Whitford from the West Wing or something, I would get, like, more... Oh, but
2: I love Bradley Whitford. No, no, no.
1: (laughs) I know, but you would get more, like, insincere vibes. But Tom Cruise, like, young, handsome, cocky Tom Cruise, it makes the character work, in my opinion. Sure. To where it's not mean. It's not, you know, anything other than just, like, hilarious dialogue.
2: Yeah. It's good dialogue. I think that the plot itself is, like, fairly like predictable and cheesy and a little like the ending is pretty cheesy in my opinion but did i get teared up at it i sure did so <laughs> it works you know like it is what it is and i appreciate for what it is and it's good at what it is yeah. so i can't really find any fault with it also yeah. jack nicholson's performance is amazing but obviously everyone knows that
1: everyone but he didn't win that he didn't win an oscar for this no see i always thought he did i thought he won an oscar for this performance no
2: I feel so. Jane Hackman outacted him.
1: Yeah, Jane Hackman steals it again. Let me tell you, (laughs) I'm still for uh... (laughs) Topol. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) so. Okay. Um. Yeah, I truly found this movie enjoyable. Uh. Yeah, I mean, I was I want to say like run of the mill courtroom drama, but it's like. There was a time in the '90s where this movie just happened, and people live, you know, ate it up. Yeah, but you know, it's always yes, yeah, the supporting cast that really drive this shit home, and Jack Nicholson, as you mentioned, just knocks it out of the goddamn park.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You you know right away you're not supposed to like this guy because it's uh Jack Nicholson.
2: Yeah, speaking of people that play Should've good seen, dicks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um,
1: but yeah, I mean, everything from the dialogue, the directing was. The directing from Rob Reiner, you know, it was so kind of um, like traditional. I mean, he's not mm-hmm. he's not a very visual director, but it gets the job done. It's, you know, goes kind of um, unnoticed in a way, which is kind of a good thing. Unless the performances kind of come through. Um, the soundtrack the score score was a little dated, yeah. in my opinion, kind of didn't that really that led to the cheesiness. Too. Yeah, I didn't I didn't vibe with that at all. Um, but. Man, the rest, yeah, I just, I just truly enjoyed it. So many good lines. Uh, Kiefer Sutherland's actually good. It's just a small role in it. Mm-hmm. Um, who else is in this movie? Kevin Pollock. Kevin Pollak, who you always like, he's we, really we all know this. as like comedian. You know, obviously he's had the central roles like this or or Usual Suspects, but he tends to always mm-hmm. lead more funny. He is very serious in this, and like so well done. Like it was such a subtle, uh, nuanced performance that I really appreciated. Um, but yeah, I mean, I couldn't recommend a Few Good Men more uh i really enjoyed it you know it's one of those things i never got to a big blind spot but i'm so glad we finally we finally did get to it and mm-hmm. we could hear that infamous line we've heard our entire lives
2: mm-hmm. which even though i knew it was coming and i've seen that clip like a million times it's still like it kind of gave me goosebumps so yeah really it's, a, good. it's,
1: it's <laughs> awesome jack nicholson fucking rules
2: yes Absolutely. I will say I was a little disappointed that in a Demi Moore picture, there was no point in which two perfect teardrops just dropped from her eyes. That seems like you're not really utilizing Demi Moore to her full potential, but.
1: I'm honestly disappointed our two leads didn't hook up at any point. I I was (laughs) going to say that. I love (laughs) so much that they (laughs)
2: never like kissed. There was never like anything.
1: Really, there truly wasn't. And like, even in like the looks where it's like, oh, you guys about to fuck. It wasn't about that. No, it was more about admiration for one another's work. Yes. And uh, yeah, no, I also like really appreciated that. Yeah. What was the thing? Yeah. Do you, you, you have something down about the Sorkin note?
2: Oh, no, there was a thing. Um, An executive gave Sorkin a note that said, um, if Demi Moore and Tom Cruise aren't going to sleep together, then what's the point of her being a woman in the script? And he responded, women have other purposes besides sleeping with Tom Cruise.
1: Yes. I don't know if Tom Cruise would agree, but uh, <laughs> Tom Cruise is like, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> I'm <a genius." laughs> no, um, but yeah, I thought that was kind of a really awesome note. I did but, think that but was but this niche. movie is just slick. You know what I mean? It's just mm-hmm. it's slick. I think it runs a little over two hours again, which you know is not not exactly my uh for, my forte, but um, doesn't feel it. The movie's no, super it goes, smooth. It goes through it's super really smooth. I'll, it, it, I know it's not as quick dialogue as we're used to with Sorkin, um. But it's still it's a it's a it's a well-paced movie mm-hmm. with some. Sur- I, I thought there was just some, some surprises. Like I know what you meant by like it feels kind of tra- traditional, mm-hmm. but some stuff I just didn't see coming. Like obviously I knew because of the iconic "You Can't Handle the Truth" scene. I knew that Jessup was going to come into the courtroom at some point. Yeah, but, and lose his cool, but, which but was like the a rest huge part. Is, like sure, 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 but the rest is. Uh, I don't know. I really enjoyed all the twists and turns and kind of watching the process. I really, you know, I enjoyed watching the process of these lawyers work to, to solve this case that, um, you know, the kind of shit that I think happens all the time.
2: Mm -hmm. Yeah. It was interesting to watch it now in light of like what we know about. Well, not what we know about, but like the, in the years since 1992, a, a lot more stories have come out about misconduct within the military. And so I thought that was interesting in light of that, and even because and, we've heard a lot about the way that women are treated in the military, and even like Jessup, you know, when he's saying inappropriate things to Demi Moore, I felt like that was very, you know, yeah, I can't think of the right word, but like ahead of its time, I guess, in a way, even though it's always been what women have dealt with in the military. So, for sure, for sure. I did think that was interesting. But yeah, I do think this is the of, of the best picture nominees this year. This is the only one I could see myself watching again. Mm-hmm. But it's one of those things where like I could see myself watching it because it's the type of movie that would like be on TNT. Right, right, right. And right. we don't have cable, but like if we did, and I was flipping around and it was on, I would yeah. like to sit there and watch it for a little bit, you know? Sure. <laughs> like sure, that's sure. the kind of movie this is for me.
1: And I, I'm sorry, this is the this is the type of movie that like Tom Cruise like made a career on. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. the type of role he can really sink into and do extremely well. Like, it's so easy, even though he plays, I know he plays a lot of the same characters over and over again, but it's so easy for me to forget it's Tom Cruise, because I really feel like he inhabits a character so well. Mm -hmm. And I'm not standing Tom Cruise, like, I promise you. You know what I mean? He does, though. But No, but I, (laughs) I, I feel like I have to come to bat for him as an actor, because so many people discredit him in so many ways, yeah. as just an action movie star or whatever. You know what I mean? No, I do think and he's a I, good actor. And let's not go down that road, but we all know who Tom Cruise is as a person. Right. And I'm never going to defend him against that. I'm not saying, you know, that. But, mm-hmm. but I just I just, to just discredit him immediately based on the types of roles he does. Like, I don't find a lot, lo- lot wrong with his body of work.
2: No, I mean, he's he plays a lot of different types of people, really. And like, men. he's done a lot of different stuff, and he's always been good at it. So...
1: Anyway, let me hear more about the movie. What did the audiences feel?
2: Okay. Well, it has a Rotten Tomatoes audience score of 89% and a critic score of 83%. The consensus reads, an old-fashioned courtroom drama with a contemporary edge. Few Good Men succeeds on the strength of its stars with Tom Cruise, Demi Moore, and especially Jack Nicholson delivering powerful performances that more than compensate for the predictable plot.
1: Wait, really quick. One thing I do want to say about Demi Moore's performance in this movie, too, is it is it just like it is so un-Demi Moore-like. In That's my true. opinion, in this time where she was always playing like the sexy, you know, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like, this is actually just like a really like tight performance from her that is is awesome. And like, honestly, yeah. Just like I said, Tom Cruise kind of sinks into his role. Demi Moore was like hardly prevalent to me. Yeah. You know, if she would have cried those two tears. Right. I would have actually then, like, been taken out of the movie. Exactly. to me. Exactly. Uh, so, sorry.
2: I just love it, though. That's one of my favorite things. No, like, I know. Her two perfect tears. I know, I know. I know. Um, at the box office, A Few Good Men made $243.2 million. At the Oscars, it was nominated for four awards, but won zero. The only Best Picture nominee to not win any awards that year. Shame. As far as its uh, legacy, the American Film Institute's list of the best lines uh, ranks at number 29 with You Can't Handle the Truth. And on their list of the 10 top 10, it was ranked as the number five courtroom drama. Hmm. There we go. Next up.
1: Uh, the Crying Game, written and directed by Neil Jordan. Um, usually like to start off with the with the uh, taglines, but I'm gonna save it for after the synopsis. Okay. Okay. Irish Republican Army member Fergus forms an unexpected bond with Jody, a kidnapped British soldier in his custody, despite the warnings of his fellow NRA members. But Jody makes a fir- Jody makes Fergus promise he'll visit his girlfriend Dill in London, and when after Jody dies. I, sorry, this synopsis is also terrible. I should have adjusted it. <laughs> uh, but after Jody dies, uh, Fergus, uh, flees to the city and he does seek her out, um, hounded by his former I- IRA colleagues. He finds himself increasingly drawn to the enigmatic and surprising dill. Now, uh, we, I'm sure we're about to discuss, uh, a ton of this movie, uh, as far as it's, it's, uh, relevance, but, um, some taglines that I really thought we should we should bring to attention. No, oh, I'm excited for yeah. this. Play at your own risk. Oh, okay. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie everyone is talking about, but no one is giving away its secrets. Okay. Mm. And last, desire is a danger zone. Mm yeah mm. yeah so devon what did you think about the crying game oh well, i got some facts for you oh first. yeah sorry facts facts yes okay
2: uh, so uh neil jordan uh who directed and wrote it your first drafted the I screen said that.
1: i already said that i just want to oh, call sorry. that to attention that was already mentioned okay
2: he first drafted the screenplay in the mid-1980s <laughs> under the title the soldier's wife but shelled the project after a similar film was released the story was inspired in part by a 1931 short story by Frank O'Connor called Guests of the Nation in which an IRA soldier in which IRA soldiers develop a bond with their English captives whom they ultimately are forced to kill. The original draft had the character mm. Dill as a cisgender woman. Several funding offers. In 1931.
0: <laughs> go figure. Okay.
2: Well, no, I think his, his draft from the, oh, from the 80s had him. Okay. okay, <laughs> the okay.
1: And then he's like, how can I really sell this and, and, and make money?
2: uh several funding offers from the united states fell through because the funders wanted jordan to cast a woman to play the role of dill believing that would be impossible to find an androgynous male actor who could pass as female which is mind-boggling to me having binged a ton of drag race in the last few days but (laughs) (laughs)
0: um
2: jordan was eventually referred to jay davidson uh davidson a man was completely new to acting and was spotted by a casting agent while attending a premiere party. The film went into production with an inadequate patchwork of funding leading to a stressful and unstable filming process. The producers constantly searched for small amounts of money to keep the production going and the unreliable pay left crew members disgruntled. Costume designer Sandy Powell had an extremely small budget to work with and ended up having to lend Davidson some of her own clothes to wear in the film as the two happened to be the same size. Um, when released in the UK the movie failed largely because of the sympathetic portrayal of an IRA fighter when Miramax decided to distribute in the US it became a sleeper hit thanks to American audiences ignorance of British Irish politics (laughs) and a memorable advertising campaign generated intense public curiosity by asking audiences not to reveal the film's secret Which,
1: which in today's society it's like really hard to not see that secret coming a mile away
2: yeah, I have to say, like, I I knew what the like quote unquote twist is or whatever going into it, but yeah. like as soon as you see Dill like in person, I was like, I'm sorry, who was confused by this? I don't. Right. It's quite clearly a man. So I know, like... but this
1: wasn't a part of like pop culture or not. Pop, I don't want to say pop culture, but like it wasn't as readily available to the public masses in 1992. Like this kind, of, this sort of of life. Because yeah. media didn't really cover it that much, right? Or if you lived, The internet wasn't a thing. You know what I mean? You, you didn't have exposure to this unless you lived in probably certain certain areas.
2: Yeah, and like, and I will say, I don't know. I'll get. I wanted to get in this a little later, but I will say, like, if they had cast an actual trans woman in that role as opposed to a man, a cisgender man, I think that it could have been more of a shock because if you are dealing with a trans woman who, you know. Wherever she's at in her transition, I think that would have been more convincing than... And Jay Davidson, I think, is beautiful in this. I really do think that he looks good. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think he's beautiful. But I don't think he looks that feminine, really. So... Yeah. That's kind of where I'm at on that. And then there's other reasons, obviously, it would have been better to use a trans woman than a sister and her man. But...
1: I mean... So I, I feel like we are starting with the end and I apologize. I but know like, and it's not the end of the movie by any means, but I mean, it's just like, I'm sure we were trying to, we we're going to move to this, but I think it's, it's, it's irrelevant to even ignore the issue. So like, I just, I just personally think this movie is entirely exploitive and it doesn't need to exist like this. I would maybe prefer his 1986 draft. Um, this, all yeah. this feels is a cash grab for a twist. That's all it feels like. I don't, I don't really know what this is trying to do or say. It just feels exploitive.
2: Yes, I do th- I think that Neil Jordan and I don't and I don't know this, but I do feel like he probably meant this to be a sympathetic portrayal, like and to free it to be and I do I do think in nineteen ninety two it is a more open minded take than a lot of stuff because you know, in the we talked about this in last season, but last the year before this, the best picture winner, Silence of the Lambs, also Includes a tr- mm-hmm. somewhat trans character that they then label with all these, you know, yeah, yeah. things that are not true about trans people, about them being violent. And Man, being, that's really some you know.
1: context I didn't think about. Yeah.
2: Yeah, and so I think that like coming from that to this, there is definitely a step forward. Mm-hmm. You know, it's still not perfect, but I also think you know, very recently we've still had cisgender men playing trans women, winning Oscars for right. Jared letter won an Oscar for Eddie Redmayne was nominated for an Oscar for right. it. And it's only recently that we've really begun having the serious conversation about the danger that that puts trans women in when cisgender men are playing them because it reinforces the idea that they re- they are actually men, and then these men that sleep with trans women don't want people to find out and ends up killing them a lot of the time, unfortunately. Yeah. So we, I think now we have a better understanding of what the danger is in that than in 1992. I don't think was on the radar probably of the filmmakers. Um. So there is that. I also, I watched um, the documentary on Netflix called Disclosure, which is about trans representation and media. And what they taught, they talked about this movie, obviously. And the thing, one of the lasting legacies that it had is it kind of spurred on these comedic um, like homages to the scene where people find out that a person is trans and, and react by vomiting or by being like overly disgusted by it and that sort of thing. And I guess I've never seen Ace Finger a pet detective. Um, I guess we could watch the supplemental, I guess. But um, <laughs> I guess there's like a huge, that whole movie has like a huge takeoff of this scene. And just a lot of the trans people in the documentary talk about like, it's not, you know, it was a very damaging legacy for this film to have, to have that reaction yeah. be included as, as part of the film.
1: For sure. I mean, because regardless, it's going to be this like polarizing thing where it's like, that's you know that's all people are going to talk about, right? Mm -hmm. And it's just, is it healthy, the conversations that are going to come from that? Like, no, it's not treated well. Like, I mean, I will say it does benefit from happening kind of in the middle of the movie, and we do watch our lead character um, become more comfortable with it. Which I think is maybe the one thing it does right.
2: Yeah, I do think I feel like but, you know people. The takeaway people took from it was that re- you know what I mean. Like maybe if that reaction was the big takeaway, but I do think people don't remember the rest of the movie beyond right, that reveal, right? Because he does still care about her. There's a yes. huge that's you know what I mean. Like yeah. So which is and I mean that's progressive in its own way too. I suppose he could have just like thrown up and then left forever, but True. like
1: which is truly what this movie is trying to do, right? It's it's mm-hmm. showing that. This this guy, you know, he finds out obviously that who he thinks is is a woman, as far as anatomy goes, um, has a dick, and it it just it throws everything off. But like, obviously, we still watch his journey as he cares for her.
2: Mm-hmm. And um, he's st- yeah, he's still you know,
1: that's what the movie's about.
2: Yeah, which is interesting. And I do want to say like, I don't know, do you have anything else you want to say about the trans aspect of it? Because I do, I really feel like because of that big thing, like it's the only thing people talk about when they yeah. talk about this movie, but. I really want to just talk about it, like as a movie sure. outside right. of that. No, you're twist. right. You're right. Um, and as a movie, I think it's, um, I think it's interesting. I think it's good. Like as an American, I don't know that much about British Irish politics, so like I know about the Troubles or whatever vaguely, but um, I thought it was interesting. I thought that there's a bit of unevenness in it. Honestly, like I was, it seemed to like switch tones a lot. Like it starts out as kind of this like friendship movie between him, between um, Stephen Ray and Forrest Whitaker. And then it turns into, like, a love story. And then all of a sudden, it turns into some weird thriller thing at the end, which, like, it wasn't really ever. And then Miranda Richardson has some weird hair. All- I-, I don't know. It's weird. But like, Who has
1: weird hair?
2: Miranda Richardson. His, like, Jude or whatever. Oh, his okay. ex-girlfriend shows up with new hair. But, like, it seems very uneven. I also want to say Forrest Whitaker gives a truly wild performance <laughs> in this movie. Like, it is... <laughs> He was in a different movie than everyone else. Yeah. Because he was just yeah a lot. Yeah. I was honestly happy when he died. Because I was like, I can't handle much more of you doing whatever you are doing. I yeah. can't handle it. Wow. <laughs> wow. What did you think about it as a movie?
1: I mean, honestly, uh, I liked the story overall. Um, what bothers me is the things I already really discussed. Um. At the end of the day, I mean, it just, it just bothers me that, you, again, the only discussion if you bring up this is, is someone seeing a penis on screen. Right. So that's disheartening, but the story's like, okay, I don't know.
2: Yeah, the I, story's really, kind of like, well.
1: I know, I, re- actually, I really enjoyed the Jodie-Fergus relationship in the beginning, mm-hmm. despite, despite Forrest Whitaker's <laughs> performance. I just, I thought that was, like, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um... And then I do really like him like going after and making he kept this pre kept this promise. But I mean, to go back to like the British and, and if they because again, yeah, right, you're right, I don't know the poli- the polit the politics of that situation very well. But we are sympathizing with what can be labeled as a criminal, can be well, related as a, like a, a revolutionary. You're right. Yeah. It's like, you know, it's it kinda of depends on, on what side to, you fall yeah. on, you know? And we quickly sympathize with it just because he befriends someone he's there to kill, right? <laughs> like we so we so soon forget that, right? Right. So we we want to sympathize with these characters, but I don't know. I mean, I will I will never seek out this movie again. I'll say that
2: no. And I also think like if if the original draft had stood, and you know it was a cisgender woman that he goes and meets and falls in love with and right. whatever, like I feel like this movie would have been never been nominated because I think it would have been so forgettable. Like it would have just. Came out, been released. No one will talk about it's it. It's a
1: really good premise.
2: It is a good premise. It's interesting. Like it
1: really is. I don't even know if it has to be IRA. You know what I mean? It could be. Sure. It could be anything. I really like the story of. like I feel like there's other movies that do kind of that thing, and I can't yeah. think. of They're not. They're not coming to mind right now. But it sounds like a familiar thing, you know, where you you catch up on something you learn, like whether it's like a soldier. Gives the pick of his girlfriend in his pocket to his best man. He dies, and then he goes and finds out, you know, finds her, and they fall in love. Whatever, I don't know. Yeah, just that that whole story is kind of interesting to me, like following up on someone else's life. Um,
2: oh, is so it in like but, the town when they rob the bank, and then he like goes and finds the like, town yes. and then they fall in love. Yeah, yes,
1: exactly. Like you know, I mean, it's it's an interesting concept. It yeah. Is. Um, but you're right. It just again, it just feels the deliberate choice. I don't know if it was. I don't know. Who's to say? If that movie didn't come out. Would things be better or worse? I don't know. You yeah, know, I don't know.
2: It's hard to. Yeah, I don't know. I will say, I saw a clip of when they were. It's, it's
1: hard to not love. Sorry. It's hard to not love Dill. So if no, that yeah, if right a very, there like, is like a sympathetic character, yeah, like if, a likable character. Right. Yeah. So if that right there changed people's perspective of trans people, then I guess this movie is super important. Mm-hmm. And I can respect that. But again, yeah. to sell yourself. On this twist, exploiting a trans person is really what, uh, is really what sticks with me and is
2: distasteful. Yeah. And it does, it does really play into the whole trope that like trans women are trying to like trick straight men and stuff, which- Does it? Well, I, she's I, I like, I, think I thought he, you knew, cause yeah, you're at she, the gay bar. She thought that he knew, but I feel like any straight guy could be like, see, see what they're trying to do, well Yeah. whatever I will say too I saw a clip of when because Jay Davidson was nominated for best supporting actor and so when they were doing that uh, category at the awards I don't even remember who the woman was who was presenting it but she made Mm. a joke about in the year of the woman a woman is broken into a category usually that they're usually shut out of best supporting actor and then they cut to Jay Davidson in the audience and he looks so pissed and like unamused and I'm just like this is Uncomfortable. I oh, wish this
1: no. wasn't happening. Wait, so wait, I don't know what you're saying. A woman broke into. He's
2: saying she was saying because he played a woman in the yeah. movie, but he was nominated for a supporting actor. Oh, so she was just saying in the year of the woman, we oh, have a woman
1: supporting actor. Yes. as in male. I'm sorry. Yes, Got he you. was
2: not because he. I mean, he's a he's gay, but he's a sister under a man, and yeah. so. Yeah, gotcha. That was the joke that she made in the year of the woman. Whew
1: i don't know you know also at the same time like i'm like yeah also if jay davidson would have laughed it yeah, might have gone over completely not. different i know <laughs> you know what i'm saying i feel like maybe that wasn't the right time for that joke but it is is it a fair joke sure
2: if it had been delivered no. by like a, I don't know who this actress was oh but okay like, that's true that's true she was, you're not and me. i mean obviously robin williams
1: said something me. everyone would no, I don't know it was
2: yeah it was clumsily done yeah but well, let me tell you about what other people thought about the crying game.
1: You don't wanna see if I want to learn about it first?
2: Oh, do you would you like to know? What <laughs> yeah, I think I think okay. so. I'm
1: curious. I'm curious. Well,
2: it has a Rotten Tomatoes audience score of seventy-eight percent and a critic score of ninety-four percent. Okay. Bit of a disconnect. Um, the consensus is the crying game is famous for its shocking twist, but this thoughtful haunting mystery grips the viewer from start to finish. I'm sorry, what was the mystery? There was no mystery. The,
1: the, <laughs> I remember I was thinking, is this a man or a woman? Like, I don't
2: know. I remember thinking, like, is Miranda Wilson going to come back? Yeah. Is that... Yeah. Hmm. <laughs> okay. At the box office, I mean $62.5 million, which is not too bad for this little indie film. I mean, more than Howard's End. Um, at the Oscar, it was nominated for six Oscars, and it won one for original screenplay, and it also won the BAFTA for Best British Film. Um, as far as its legacy, has not been named to any notable lists. Mm. All right, we're ready to talk about Best Picture, winner.
1: You mean Unforgiven?
2: Unforgiven, yeah.
1: Directed by Clint Eastwood, written by David Webb Peoples, who is also credited on Blade Runner and 12 Monkeys. Um, Tagline, some legends will never be forgotten. Some wrongs can never be forgiven. (sighs) William Money is a retired, once ruthless killer turned gentle widower and hog farmer. To help support his two motherless children, <laughs> <laughs> he accepts one last bounty hunter mission to find the men who brutalized a prostitute sex worker. <laughs> Joined by his former partner and a cocky greenhorn, he takes on a corrupt sheriff. It's a lot there. That's it's not really There's some opinions in there. <laughs> yeah. Uh yeah.
2: Unforgiven unforgiven
1: unforgiven do
2: <laughs> you have any quick facts yeah so the concept for the film dated to 1976 when it was developed under the titles the cut whore killings and the William Money killings
1: <laughs> the cut horror movie dude <laughs> I know
2: I don't know why they got what's rid that of that what's that one about again <laughs> it's about a hog farmer <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> uh, Richard Corliss in Time wrote that the film was quote Eastwood's meditation on age repute Courage, heroism, on all those burdens he has been carrying with such a great, with such grace for decades. That's Amen. all I have to say about it him.
1: That's that's all you have to say about it.
2: Uh, yeah, there wasn't a lot of facts. It came in under schedule. Plenty sort of really turned it, it in quickly yeah. <laughs> as he wants.
1: Doesn't he only do like one or two takes?
2: Yeah, he he, <laughs> he don't take his time.
1: I don't know, but he hired some pretty good actors, so you know, maybe he did them. besides
2: himself. Yeah,
1: which I you know I do, do got to give credit. Uh, you know, starred and directed. Mm-hmm. Um, I I like that when it works. I feel <laughs> Did you like, feel like it worked? I feel like that is very difficult. Yeah, Devin, I like this movie, okay? Okay. Okay? I feel like you're judging me for liking I'm it. I'm not
2: judging you for liking it. I do
1: like that it is like kind of a meta, you know, me- like a version of kind of his Western, like where he used to be. He was known for being this young, handsome gunslinger in Westerns in the 70s and whatnot and uh now he's old Mm -hmm. and he's kind of yeah just doing this take on on a modern western and not modern sorry not modern but a more realistic version of a western Mm -hmm. than just a gunslinging action adventure or or you know whatever where um where a corporation is the villain or that kind of thing um and yeah like i really like that was everything perfect about it heck no we didn't you know how many times we learned that his his wife died (laughs)
2: He talked about it a lot. He talked about it a
1: lot, and there was uh, there was a scroll in the beginning mm-hmm. that yes. for some reason exists, even though all that information was addressed within the first ten minutes for sure. Yes. Um But yeah, I don't know. I uh, feel
2: like the, the beginning scroll maybe was just that then the end scroll would make more sense because I felt the end scroll was kind of good. But
1: Sure, sure, sure. Maybe bookended, I guess, I guess. Yeah. Um, but I mean we're looking at we got Clint Eastwood, we got we got Morgan Freeman, mm-hmm. who's killing it as always and then you got this you round it up with the supporting cast of women uh wow who i feel like an asshole right now i can't think of their names right now uh but i I love the lead whore
2: (laughs) (laughs) the non-cut one the non-cut
1: whore you know what i'm talking about Mm -hmm. um no but kind of like the leader of that whole uh billiards gang we'll call it billiards is (laughs) is how they're referred to in the movie um but I mean, Gene Hackman in this in the supporting role, um, Richard Harris coming mm-hmm. coming in for a hot minute, just killing it. I really love the performances. Like, there's so many quiet, you know, like any Western. There's also, also like uh, a lot of quiet moments, and so many of these like like Gene Hackman just like owns this scene inside of a prison, uh, or inside of the the police station. I don't know what to call it. Yeah. But um, just like these little scenes of just honestly of yeah of age of of former glory um i don't know man i gotta saw i gotta i do have like a little even though i haven't not i've not seen like i'm not i wouldn't say i'm a huge western genre fan mm-hmm. i do have a soft spot in my heart for westerns
0: okay
1: of this like i don't know Of oh, this time when there was badlands and the country wasn't figured out yeah who, country still isn't but like <laughs> Uh, I just I just kind of like love that whole era and where usually actually the corporation is the problem and stuff like that. Um, I don't know. Now I'm just rambling.
2: Mm -hmm.
1: You talk about something and I'll just go from
2: there. Um, personally, I'm not a huge fan of westerns in general. Um, I will say one of the fun facts also is that this is the third western to win best win best picture and so far the last one. But um, wow, okay. I do think I th- I did I did like this movie and honestly like the more I've sat with it and the more I've thought about it I think it did have like a lot to say and it's interesting mm-hmm. and I really do appreciate it for for its take on western like and it is so it is so perfect that Clint Eastwood made it because he did make his career on playing these types of characters and for him to like kind of really make a movie that really questions what what that type of person really is, what violence in movie, like what that, what violence in general really like means to really like have something that shows the consequences of violence in a way that Westerns don't. And I think that it's just, it's such an interesting take on a Western. And I I do like that a a actor who, who made his career off of Westerns is the one that made it because, um, Westerns like in general is very like, you know, white hat, black hat, good and bad. And everything was very clear. And, um, and in this, I think it's, it's all just shades of gray, you know, you know, I mean, their whole purpose in going there is based on exaggerations and lies. Mm-hmm. Gene Hackman, while not a nice person, like genuinely is just trying to keep crime out of his city that he's charged and he, protecting. He
1: is. But I, like, what I, yeah, what I love about him and, and gray is like a perfect description. Is like, yes, he is just trying to be like a good Marshall, not Marshall, but like a sure. good leader in yeah. his community. And his righteousness is also a part of his downfall. Yeah, like it made his righteousness villainizes him to a certain degree. Mm-hmm. Like no one's fucking perfect. Sorry. go.
2: Oh no no, I I just think I mean, and it is it is one of those things. Like all this could have avoided if you would have just like punished the people for attack the men for attacking the the woman to begin with. Yeah. But I think that says a lot about the way that we treat women, sex workers like that. You mean that they were not taken seriously, and if they'd been sure. taken seriously, this wouldn't have happened. Right. I also was reading on letter- if they
1: stabbed a man, he would have been hung
2: exactly or at least whipped or whatever he was gonna yeah, do not just like have to get horses to some other guy like yeah
1: yeah to a <laughs> to a guy by the way not to the victim right to the guy who the basically the like owns them his yeah pimp, or whatever. pimp. Yeah. yeah the pimp
2: although he did the one guy did try to give a horse to the woman but then they ran him off with throwing mud at him so
1: yeah was it mud or horse shit
2: i couldn't tell i was like i really hope they're not just like picking up poop that's gross i, th- I feel like that's what it was i think so that's like, really disgusting yeah, they probably washed their
1: hands or whatever hopefully hand sanitizer cool.
2: anyway um i was reading a review on letterboxd and now i feel like i should i should have written down who wrote this but someone was basically making the point that this movie can be seen as like a metaphor for america that clint eastwood's character you know founded on all this violence but now he's he is very going on and on of how much he's changed how much he's mm-hmm. not like that anymore but then for the first like when he gets the chance to go do it again he does it and he has all these like moral reasons to do it but in the end he's doing it for the money he wants to get mm-hmm. paid for it and he goes and and everything's based on lies and exaggerations and none of it's true and there's the the press guy who's writing the books about all this stuff and just switches allegiance to whoever happens right, to be right. winning at the moment you know
1: he, we 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 write history of the heroes, right? Of, right. The, of the winning side.
2: And I and, and I do think that's interesting. And I think the ending is so interesting when it does just like devolve into this violence for, you know, unnecessary, unnecessary violence, which I think is the point of it. And I just think that's a really interesting take. And I think it's even more interesting lens to view it through when you think about Clint Eastwood's personal politics, because I think that it's just really interesting. I think that movie is saying all this stuff, but then part of me is also like, is was he trying to say all that stuff? I don't know because. Well, and also,
1: I don't know his politics in
2: 1991. I don't think they were very different. Okay, okay, I
1: I, I don't have a. Basis he has a quote
2: saying he never thought he'd win an Oscar because he wasn't Jewish. So.
1: Wow. Did he say that in the year of the Jew and the Oscars? <laughs> <laughs> um. Jesus. Okay.
2: So I don't know, but um. But I do think it's, I just think it's interesting. I do think it has a lot of interesting things to say. I feel like also, I think Unforgiven is to Westerns what the Irishman was to to mafia movies, to mob movies. You don't see the similarities? I know uh, you did like I the g- Irishman, but like. I
1: get what you're saying. No, I, I do get what you're saying. And I do find that's really interesting. And in like, what is it saying about. Clint Eastwood's character when yeah it's just like it clicks and all of a sudden he's back to his violent way. he's like a completely different character than we watched for the first two hours
2: mm-hmm. he can get on his horse now
1: yeah like what is like I don't know that's a, that's what that's the one thing I'm kind of battling with is how quickly the violence turned on and I don't know I don't know if he's got something against alcohol because another thing is like he is Clint Eastwood is very much against drinking the entire movie. Yeah. And all of a sudden he gets a few drinks in him, and he's like a badass motherfucker cutting down people. You know what I mean? And I don't know if that's something against that or like. Or or if that's that's just 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 another influence. Yeah. I guess it could just be a lead in. But does it show how it doesn't take much to just flip a switch? You know, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know.
2: That that's what his nature is. or something. I don't know. I think it's saying things. And I think that it's an I think it could be, you know, it's a highly discussable and analyzable movie, I think.
1: Yeah. Right. Like, I mean, Gene Hackman, who is like this hero to this writer before he switches to uh, to Clint Eastwood's character at the end. Mm-hmm. Like he's shot and he's like yelling, I don't deserve to die like this. Yeah. And I feel like that's really interesting, right? Mm-hmm. Because he is a hero in his own degree. And is Clint Eastwood a villain? No. Like, I'm sorry, but in from what we see as an audience, Ned, the character played by Morgan Freeman, literally does nothing wrong. Right. Yet he is persecuted and killed for this. Mm-hmm. And, and, like,
2: killed in a really awful way. And
1: although his character is not as dressed as black. Uh huh. There's a lot of fucking weird things happening where his body is put on display and all this shit as, like, a warning mm-hmm. and whatever else. Like, yeah, like, Clint Eastwood, regardless of what he's done in the movie, like, justified by trying to get... It, it, well, I
2: think that's interesting that you view As that a way.
1: character. Yeah. Real life, I don't know if I would 100%. Okay. Do you know what I'm saying? As a movie, as a Western movie, as but not But doesn't that make you fact. question...
2: Like, I feel like that's an interesting thing, though, because it makes you... I feel like that should make you question, like, is that violence really necessary? Like, Gene Hackman maybe deserved it, mm-hmm. but all those other people that he killed didn't necessarily yeah. have anything to do with Ned dying. No, I know. They were just there, you know? Yeah.
1: To essentially kill him, but I see what you're saying. Yeah. No, I, I do agree. Like, I'm not saying I condone violence. In fact, I hate movies that are usually like, ultra-violent. I'm not saying. There's, a, there's this one scene in this movie. In fact, there's a beautiful scene that counteracts it towards a little bit before this, where They kill their first uh, bounty, Mm -hmm. and he cries out. Yeah, that seems really interesting. It's a slow death, and you know the characters aren't dealing with it well either. So like, I'm totally there with them during that too. This guy does not deserve to die. Mm -hmm. Their motivations for doing this are just uh, monetary based, you know what I mean? And they're but
2: I just think it's interesting. I think you know everything it does up to that point is like a really interesting commentary on westerns in general as a genre, and then. At the end, you know, Clint Eastwood, William Money, like really does like turn into that, that stereotypical mm-hmm. gunslinger. You know, can shoot a hundred people with six rounds and like, you know. But then I feel like I feel like the fact that that happens and that's the ending is this big thing. Is like it should to me. It makes me question like all of those gunslingers and all these other westerns. Like, were they really the heroes?
1: Right. You know what I mean. Right.
2: And I think that's a really interesting thing for a movie to do.
1: I a hundred percent agree because like it's weird because you know this movie is subverting a lot of these Western themes, but in the end, what he does is a typical Western. Mm -hmm. And so part of me like I do enjoy that because not that it's like I feel like I've been I've been um, robbed of it the whole other that's not what I'm saying. I really enjoyed the movie without that scene. But, like, there is some, there is a part of this badass thing, and I don't know if it's because Clint Eastwood, I don't know if it's because we love Morgan Freeman and mm-hmm. he died for no fucking reason. Yeah,
0: really upset. Do you know about.
1: what I mean? But there is something justified, and we hate Gene Hackman.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: You know what I mean? You're right. Like, it's this weird thing where it's like, I don't want to parallel to stuff in real life because I do not agree with violence. hmm But there's also something just like, it's less, I don't know. I don't know what I'm trying to say.
2: Yeah. I don't know what you're trying to say either. I don't know.
1: I liked, I, I liked watching him turn it on. And I think part of that's knowing that this is the last time we'll probably see Clint would do that. Oh, yeah. Because we don't watch Westerns for non-escapism, right? We're not watching it for the reality necessarily of the situation, even though a lot of them have parallel uh, the reality or, or their parables in themselves. But like, um, there's something about turning him on for the last time that I think is like really gratifying. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot, of, I guess, I don't know, there's a lot to take away from that that last kind of of pivotal scene.
2: Mm-hmm. But And I think it's important to, like, if this movie was, you know, they first started working on it in 1976, I feel like, you know.
1: The whore cut story. The whore right? cut, cut killings. Horror, the whore, okay.
2: The cut whore killings. Cut I, horror killing I don't know. But. It would a very different movie. I think probably it was also heavily influenced by the Vietnam War, which I think would also be, like, an interesting, I'm not going to do it right now but like, i think that'd like be an interesting lens to like analyze veterans. it through yeah of like That's what they had to do in vietnam and then they come back and they aren't that person anymore but like you know what i mean i think look that could at, be an interesting look at the five bloods yeah look at this movie
1: with the five bloods like how it's not that much different right yeah. there are these guys going to like go through the the you know they're doing kind of their old the thing although up, not yeah. in a war environment mm-hmm. and then they have to get ultra violent -hmm. You know, I I find that very similar. It's interesting. Yeah. Even though that's not the lives they obviously choose to to glorify, you know.
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, like for me, the mark of a good movie is if there's a lot to discuss with it, and I think this movie clearly there's a lot to discuss with. Yeah. for sure. You want to know what other people think about it? Yeah. All right. It has a Rotten Tomatoes audience score of ninety three percent and a critic score of ninety six percent. The consensus is. As both director and star, Clint Eastwood strips away decades of Hollywood varnish applied to the wild west and emerges with a series with a series of harshly eloquent statements about the nature of violence. It's box office made 159.2 million dollars. At the Oscars, it was nominated for 9 awards and it won 4, including best picture, best director, supporting actor for Gene Hackman and best editing. As far as its legacy, the American Film Institute on their original list of the 100 best films, it was ranked at number 98 on their anniversary list. Ten years later, it moved up to number 68 on their 10 top 10. It was ranked the number four best Western and it was preserved in the National Film Registry in 2004. Interesting. Cool. So, yeah, that is unforgiven. So those are the Best Picture nominees. Kyle's time for the question that this entire podcast is based upon did the Academy get it right
1: until five minutes ago I would have said no <laughs> but I think that there is something about the history of of especially American film uh, that is addressed and unforgiven that I think should not be like forgotten or passed off or whatever else uh Although I think A Few Good Men is a movie I would be more likely to revisit and enjoy probably the majority of the performances more. Um I do think obviously unforgiven results in more of a dialogue. And I think that's really important and I think that is uh, adequately recognized. So my letterbox score may vary <laughs> on uh which one technically looks better, but I have to give it to I probably have to give it to Unforgiven. Um yeah. and say they got it right.
2: Yeah, I feel like for me to answer that question, I have to put my personal preferences aside. Um, And even though I might prefer like prefer watching a movie like A Few Good Men more than Unforgiven, I think that... I think Unforgiven is the better film, unquestionably. Yeah. Out of all of these films. So, of the nominees, I do agree that Unforgiven is the best film. But we still have some supplementals that we're going to watch. So, next week we're going to have an episode where... um. We look at some films that came out in 1992 that didn't get recognized, but maybe should have. Should we tell the people what we're going to watch? Sure. We are going to be talking about Reservoir Dogs, Malcolm X, and The Player. So cool. join us then.
1: Imagine if Tom Cruise was in Unforgiven, like as as the kid.
2: Ooh. Oh, that would have been good. Okay. That would have been hands
1: down. I would have been like five star banger. For sure. Done.
2: <laughs> <I'm> <laughs> if only. I didn't win all
1: nine Oscars. <laughs>
2: All right. Well, we came in listening to the best song winner of 1993, A Whole New World, from the number one film of the year, Aladdin. And since Aladdin is like one of the best films of all time, how could we argue with that? So we're going to go out listening to it as well.
1: Oh, it makes it easier on me.
2: There we go. See you
0: next week.